0: All right, welcome to the Spoken Gospel Podcast. Spoken Gospel! There it is. Oh, I like that. That's <laughs> nice. And uh, today we're going to be talking about Exodus 11 through 13, most of 13. We'll stop around, what was it, verse 16? 16. Uh, yeah, I think so. Uh, and uh, we today we're talking about the Passover, right? The
1: death of the firstborn. The death of the firstborn, the eh.
0: Passover, the Feast of Unleavened Bread, all that good stuff. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Passover.
1: Yeah, have you ever done a Passover before?
0: A Passover. Have oh, I ever like done like a done Passover? A,
1: done a Christianized version of a Passover.
0: Yeah, Lord. I did the Lord's Supper. <laughs>
1: <laughs> ever growing up, we would host a Passover Seder meal, and then we had what's some, what's a Seder mean? That's that's essentially the Passover feast. That's what it's called. The whole meal, the whole setup, the whole called, thing is called the Seder. The Seder, and uh, there's a lot of tradition that's been added to it over the course of years. But there's all these interesting elements of the meal that point to jesus and so a lot of churches will like do a thing where they do the passover meal and then show you how each one of these po- oh. parts point to jesus
0: strange strange <laughs> they could have just done the lord's supper well you know <laughs> it no does, offense to my passover seder friends it does listening. say
1: that you this is a statute that forever that you were supposed to to follow, which is probably where they take it from. So, we're going to oh. do the Passover now. So. Well that, oh, that'll be fun to talk about how
0: <laughs> Jesus is the fulfillment of that later.
1: Right. So, anyway, it's actually is kind of fascinating yeah. because as you're you're supposed to like, so there's this mixture of bitter herbs that you're supposed to eat, and you're supposed to remember your own sin and then wash it down with the wine, like the blood. So, like, there's little little elements that point to Jesus through it. I mean, it's edifying as far as it goes, but... Um, and tasty, except for the bitter herbs. Except for the bitter herbs. They're pretty, actually pretty terrible.
0: But, I, yeah... Okay. And and what so do you like cook a whole lamb? Yeah. 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 Is it just like out on a table?
1: Mm-hmm. Well, I think most of the time now it's like lamb chops. Lamb <laughs> chops. <laughs> <laughs> Like not a whole of roasted lamb that's so lame especially like, in the church because you don't want to like you know have a roasted lamb with all the innards there and then burn them out back well if, so you if you don't if you don't want
0: to have a Passover don't hold a Seder you know that's, that's the old saying
1: there's like an empty seat for Elijah he comes and visits the
0: meal wait is that real? Yeah. It's a real thing <laughs> what? <laughs> this is getting more and more strange if well, you if you do a seder and you like if you're a listener totally missing and form. you're doing a seder, we invite you to email us um, and we'll give you that information on the description and later on in the episode. Email us why you do it and and why it's important to you, what it means to you. We'd love to hear from that. Maybe we can interact with it on the show sometime. All right, let's talk about. Um, What's going on in the text of Exodus 11 through 13? All right, Seth, you want to take it over with uh, 11.1?
1: Moses is threatening the final plague, uh, the death of the firstborn, which is really intense. But we also notice a parallel with Pharaoh's own commands to kill the firstborn of Israel. That's right. And
0: also God almost killing Moses' firstborn, right? Yes. Except for the, the, the covenant of circumcision that that kind of saved the day
1: yeah and then after this the people of egypt well the people of israel asked the egyptians for all their silver and gold and then the egyptians handed over and the phrase is the people uh the lord gave the people favor in the sight of the egyptians which is i think the word for grace oh is it right that's the word that actually of noah that god used of noah he found favor in the sight of the lord he found grace in the sight of the lord that's that's interesting. interesting but that happens and then moses um at about midnight I was told that he tells Pharaoh that the Lord will come at about midnight and kill the firstborn in the land of Egypt, but not even a dog shall growl against any of the people of Israel,
0: verse 7. Oh,
1: wow. Um, again, that's that protection that yeah. God continues to extend the over the Israelites. distinction
0: he's making that we talked about last week yeah. between the Egyptians and the Israelites.
1: And Pharaoh will not listen so that his wonders will be multiplied in the land of Egypt.
0: And again, so there there again, you get the wise God doing this to multiply his wonders, to bring glory to his name, all that kind of stuff. Yep. Yes.
1: And then it's in this context that we're told, okay, now you're going to celebrate a feast. And actually, not just celebrate a feast, you're going to reorient your entire calendar around my redemption of you verse uh, chapter 12. So uh, how, where where do we see that? So
0: chapter 12 verse
1: 1, uh, this month shall be for you the beginning of months. <laughs> so <they said.
0: laughs> okay, so it might have been October or September, but guess what? It's January now because yeah. everything's starting new with this event. The, okay, so this yep. is such a so what God's saying here is like this is such a cataclysmic Uh, identifying event in the life of my people that I want you to begin your year around it from now on. Like this is everything centers around this basically. Yes. Right. Okay. Yeah.
1: And then on the 10th day of the month, you're supposed to take a lamb, separate a lamb out from your flocks. And then it has to be without blemish, has to be a male lamb. And then on the 14th day of the month, you kill it at twilight and
0: eat it. And the, and I think isn't between the 10th where they pick it out and the 4th where they... 14th. The 14th where they cook it, isn't that like preparation? They're preparing the lamb and everything like that? Yeah. Okay. I think so. I think so too. Yeah. And then... I, think, I know that like later on, like I think the gospels talk about um, preparations were beginning for the Passover. That's right. And I think right. scholars talk about how this is, that's what happens between the 10th and the 14th day.
1: Then they take the blood of the lamb and they put it on the two doorposts and the lintel of their house where they're going to eat it, and they're supposed to eat it dressed, as if they're ready to leave. Why is that? Um, I don't know—a sign of faith or an expectation yeah. of what God will do, right. In in Egypt, because it's this, all this
0: is not—it's not just about him passing over; it's also about him rescuing his people out of slavery entirely, and so. This is them being ready to go. Like this isn't. This is. Uh, God is going to act expediently, right? Yeah. And so we we do it with staff in hand, with my belt on, uh, and it, I think he, he doesn't even talk about like eat it in haste. Yeah, eat it it's in like, haste, dude. Just wolf this meal down. <laughs> like inhale this sucker. And uh, I, I, I I I don't know if it's here. I, I'm like I'm. I've read so I read so many different Passover passages today or about the the feast, but I know like how they decide. Um, i think it's later but how they decide how they're how uh, how many people can come around one lamb is 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 based on how much one person can eat right so, <laughs> which i love that it's like all right joe joe how much how much is lamb you i got i got a leg and a breast two two shanks and a if, rib if your
1: family's too small you're supposed to invite as many people as you can <laughs> to make sure the that the lamb's gone <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah and we're told
1: even in verse uh, chapter twelve, verse thirty-nine, that they were thrust out of Egypt. So they still had like cake, leavened cake, unleavened cakes, like ready to go. So like it's it actually. So you're supposed to eat it in haste, as if you were about to leave. Right. And then that actually happens. That actually happens. Like they they're actually, in the middle of eating, and all this dough is sitting around. So they just take it with them. They just take it with them, them unleavened, go.
0: ready to go. Yep. Okay.
1: Yeah, and then um, we're told that the Lord will execute his judgment, because he is the Lord. And then verse 13, he'll see the blood as a sign on the houses where they are. And then when I see the blood, I will pass over you and no plague will befall you to destroy you. Yes. Yeah. David actually picks up that language in Psalm 91. Oh, does he? Uh, he does. He's like, no, no plague will come near your, your tent, your dwelling, your
0: place. Oh man. About this event. Oh, that's interesting. And so, I mean, a couple things that I see right, right away is all the Personal pronouns that God is using here. Like I will come and I will see and I will pass over, or I will kill. <laughs> like this is God acting. It, it, but later we see it as the angel of death, right? So the destroyer. The destroyer. Um so how is this God? Is this a third party? Who comes and does this killing?
1: I we're told that it I mean, God claims it for himself. Right. Um I'm trying to find the verse where he says it really explicitly because I underlined it because like, oh my gosh I, do I really believe this? <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> yeah, verse 15 of chapter 13 for when Pharaoh stubbornly refused to let us go the Lord killed all the firstborn in the land of Egypt both the firstborn of man and the firstborn of animals.
0: Wow. So even though that there even though there's this third party, this destroyer that comes through um, who might be an executor of God's judgment? It is behind it all is Yahweh Himself. Yes, which is really hard for probably a lot of us 21st century people to. I'm come sure as it was. With.
1: It seemed like it was hard for even the Israelites to fathom because they turn away from God. I don't know. It's we're never told that it's. Because of God? No, never mind. Yeah,
0: I don't know if they had like a theodicy problem, like a problem right. with God's justice, is what that means. Right? They
1: were they were enslaved. They the, Isla, the Egyptians were getting what was coming. Yeah, to they're them. like right. bring it on. Yeah, right.
0: they they probably loved that. Yeah, yeah
1: which we, we would say
0: any enslaved people group absolutely is
1: looking for justice.
0: Well, and we too. Like whenever we watch a movie or something with an oppressed people in it and the enemy gets what's coming to them, these horrible, wicked people, we cheer in the theater. Yeah. Like we're, we, we we, love justice far more than we let on whenever we try to isolate these moments of God's wrath and be like, oh, God would never act that way. And then we're in a theater where it happens to the bad guy. We're like, yeah, that's awesome. And, and it's like,
1: that's because we put our place in, we put ourselves in the place of the oppressor. Only the oppressor doesn't like to be judged.
0: Ooh, that's good. So. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Yeah. That's right. Oh, no, I no, you can't judge me, God. Like,
1: No, that's what the oppressor says. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Whoops. So moving on very moving quickly. On. <laughs> um, And then the day that they eat a lamb is the beginning of the feast of the unleavened bread. For seven days they eat
0: unleavened bread. Right. And God says they, they're not supposed to leaven any of their bread, and they're not even supposed to have any leaven in their houses at all. Like no leaven whatsoever. Yes. And like... I read some stuff on this and most people are like, what in the world? Why no leaven? Like what is going on? And they tried to, they tried to allegorize it and stuff. And they tried to talk about how maybe it's a sign of like, um, like there's something talking about something, about spoiling something. I can't even remember, but I think for me, it's all about this. Is it just hastiness? That's just like leaven takes a while to rise. And so unleavened bread is we're leaving. Get ready. Expectancy.
1: But there's also a sense in, at least the Gospels, where leaven is a substitute for sin. Right. So Jesus warns the disciples with the leaven of the Sadducees and the Pharisees. And even leavens you put...
0: But doesn't he also talk about the kingdom of heaven being like a little bit of leaven that works through the whole loaf? Yeah, he does. So that wouldn't (laughs) work.
1: Levin is complicated. Leaven's a complicated... I think leaven. you're right in this What's story. What's your relationship with leaven? It's, it's complicated. It's complicated. <laughs> I like a good bread. I also like a good cracker.
0: You do. Yeah. You make your own bread. I do. You sourdough champion.
1: Not all my sourdough like I like your sourdough. ...come out terribly. <laughs> but I think the point here is that it's made in haste. It's quick. Yeah, it's I think like so. It's taken away. I think so. And then God reiterates again that when they put the blood on the doorpost, God will see the blood... And the Lord will pass over the door and not allow the destroyer to enter the house. The Lord sees it and promises, I will not come in. So let me, so let me ask you this question because I thought yeah, about sure. this. Why now? Why do we have protection coming through sacrifice now? Oh, I see. Because God's been protecting the people from a lot of these plagues and required no sacrifice, required no blood. Why now?
0: I know, I know one of the things is we haven't seen the narrative talk about them being— see them being saved from, like, flies and boils and the death of their livestock, but we haven't seen them being saved from personal death and, 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 and like, that death entering their homes and taking the life of their firstborn. And so I think that once we, once we talk about personal death and being— how do we be saved from personal death? I think that's whenever there has to be this price paid. Um, Is that, I mean, does that make any sense? No, that does. I I mean, there is like,
1: this is the most intense form of God's judgment. And when it comes to the most intense form of God's judgment, the most explicit need for protection i guess is made clear or like how god is actually providing protection retroactively So like yeah. how did god protect israel from the flies on what basis did he say i will protect you yeah it's actually on the passover
0: right yeah maybe uh, i think that that could definitely be argued i think also what we what we see here, we can go back to I think I think we can go back to Abra or sorry, to Moses on his way to Egypt, and I think that can be helpful. Remember that obscure story we talked about a couple weeks back with God going to kill his his firstborn son and um and then his wife Saporah circumcises his son really quickly and dabs the foreskin on Abraham's Abraham, I keep saying Abraham, on Moses's feet and then God relents. And I think what this shows us is that not is that just like moses just because he was god's chosen instrument does not make him void or excluded from god's wrath that he is also guilty of sin and deserving of god's wrath and so a price had to be paid like he had to enter the covenant through bloodshed and in the same way just because there's a distinction being made by yahweh between egypt and israel does not mean that israel has no sin that does that 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 doesn't need to be dealt with. Like they have sin. It needs to be dealt with. And so this price has to be paid. God is setting a precedent for how he will deal with the personal sin and death of his people.
1: Do you think Israel knows that at this point? No,
0: no, I don't think so. You don't at all.
1: think they know like this blood isn't just, this isn't just a, a protective spell I'm casting. This is actually a, for an omen of my own sinfulness. Um,
0: just like Pharaoh. I don't know. I don't, I don't, it'd be hard to say. You'd have to ask about like, how, the, how how Yahweh was re reusing some cultural symbols of their time in Egypt, because um, they, they're they not unfamiliar with sacrifice. Sacrifice was not something that was foreign they're to them. They're going into the wilderness to sacrifice. To sacrifice. They, to under, they have categories for these things. Um, you know, the, the Egyptians had sacrifices. They had priests. And so they wouldn't be completely oblivious to what was going on. But in terms of, uh, I think they only understood the gods uh, as those who needed to be placated they didn't understand that actually it was justice for offense to this god they were just the gods were angry and they like they needed to be they needed to persuade them to act a certain way they didn't understand that no like the god the one god of the one god yahweh is just and good and in his justice and goodness he brings justice onto me as a human person who has committed a a sin against him i don't know if they've put all that together yet i'm I'm sure they see some corollary between what's going on with this god interacting with people and the sacrifice but i don't think it's until they get the law and we get to leviticus and those things that they start to see sacrifice and sin going hand in hand would you agree or do you think they see something bigger maybe i mean it's hard to say
1: you'd have to be you could be an insightful israelite in this you, know, could. Like you could be yeah. it's like okay there's like substitution yeah. The blood of another protects me
0: Wait, from, my son would die if this if this lamb didn't die Substitution's not hard to come by there yeah like there's clear substitution you get you get and we there. actually
1: see a lot more of that in this story right so after if we just want to skip over a little bit of the institution of the passover once maybe we shouldn't well let's let's get there so what happens next in the story the plague happens right yeah the plague happens, and all of the firstborns are killed in the land of Egypt, and there's a cry that's heard, and not a house where someone... There was not a house where someone was not dead, verse 30.
0: Yeah, it's also interesting that it's everyone from Pharaoh to the slaves of Egypt. No, no, one, is, no one is excluded from this. Even the prisoners, like even people who are imprisoned are, fall under this, this, this plague. So it's not just for the elite, like even the poor... Mm-hmm. fall under this curse.
1: Yeah. And then verse 32, Pharaoh finally relents, said, okay, take, right. take them away. And I think it's interesting that he asks Moses to bless him, uh, but <laughs> he, he he relents and sends them
0: away. Take your flocks and your herds, as you have said, and be gone, and bless me also. <laughs> <laughs> he just gets one last like, shot, please, one less self, uh, selfish shot in there.
1: And then it happens. The Egyptians are pushing the Israelites out. They don't want any more death. They don't want any more destruction. Uh, and then the Lord gave the people favor and the sight of the Egyptians, and so they gave them all the jewels and gold they asked for, and they plundered the Egyptians. Right,
0: which was promised way back to Abraham, that they would be enslaved for a long time, but when they left, they would inherit great riches. Yeah. And here it is. And it's here it is.
1: And then as they're moving out, we're also told in verse 38, a mixed multitude also goes out with them, presumably some Egyptians are going with them. They've seen the acts of the Lord, and they yep. said, this is the true God. I will follow him, right. presumably. It could,
0: have, it could have also been other enslaved people groups, right? It could have been so, other enslaved you know, people groups. So you had groups. this huge uh, monolithic power of Egypt, and they aren't just enslaving Israelites. They're enslaving all kinds of people, most likely. And so perhaps God saved multiple people out of this, out of these slaves. Maybe it was just Israel because they're the only ones it talked about, and it convinced Egypt. To me, that sounds like the more obvious reading.
1: We also know that this mixed multitude has caused problems in the future for the people of Israel. They're mentioned other times as the reason why Israel wants to go back to Egypt. So they're called the rabble, they're called mm. the crowds. They are used to different different languages used for this p- p- people group about Part of the reason why they're tempted why they're grumbling why they want to go back to egypt oh, that's
0: interesting and so this distinction that god makes between his people and not his people it seems that the not his people people <laughs> end up causing trouble for his people people yes yeah.
1: but the his people join in their grumbling right join in their desires yeah. Join in their cling. so even though they're different and set apart there's also this kind of
0: hard you, hearts love company
1: hard hearts love <laughs> company yeah so anyway they they leave Uh, and we're told that they're supposed to remember this throughout all their generations, and then the Lord institutes the Passover. This is the statute of the Passover, verse 43, and no foreigner shall eat of it. And I think the reason why he mentions that there is because it's a mixed crowd. There's foreigners among them, and so there's actually a lot of provisions here for people who are foreigners, and they said if you do want to eat of it, you must become part of the covenant people by circumcision.
0: Right, so it's not that that no foreigner could eat of it, it's... No foreigner could eat of it without joining into the covenant. Yes. Okay.
1: Yes. And we're told a couple more details about the lamb, that you're supposed to eat it in the house, that you're not supposed to take any flesh outside the house, and you shall not break any of its bones, which John picks up and said, this was actually fulfilled in Jesus. Not one of his bones were broken. Not one of his bones were broken. So yeah, already we're told that this is about... Jesus. And then we are looped back in to our discussion of the firstborn. All this like why the firstborn? Why the protection? What's going on here? And so in chapter thirteen, God tells Moses to consecrate, to separate, to make distinct all the firstborn. Whatever is the first to open the womb among the people of man and beast is
0: God's. So would this be a good place to talk about why the firstborn? What what's significant about that? Because you know in my in our families everyone's special, you know, like everyone I love you and your sister equally you know? i mean <laughs> which it wasn't true it's, it's well, a lie but <laughs> <laughs> parents always have their favorites, but there's something very distinct about what what was so special about the firstborn in this culture or in this time um is this a good place to talk about that
1: yeah, I mean so most most obviously it was. It's the firstborn is the one who will inherit all the family's wealth okay. and become yep. the new patriarch when the father dies. Right. So the firstborn is a sign of the continuation of the family line.
0: Yes, that, that this family will not end. My family will continue. Um, all throughout the law, even, we see like all these provisions made to make sure that each family has progeny, like a male progeny, to continue on that family name, that clan name, and that tribe name. Like We see that.
1: Right, and so what we're seeing here when God says, "Consecrate for me the firstborn," we see that as a as a sacrifice almost. We see it as almost as something that's like demanded of us, but for for God, it's His way of determining the promises. His promises will continue to the next generation; that they will not be lost um, by by circumstance. That God is declaring. I will continue my promises to your next generation. Yeah. You aren't the only ones that will receive it.
0: And we have to couch this in this longer narrative that's been taking place in Exodus, where it seems like the firstborn die. They just die. Like Early on, it was because of the edict of Pharaoh that the firstborn Israelites were dying. But then we see that, no, actually, like, God requires the firstborn to die, not just because they're firstborn, but because they're representative, we'll talk about that here in a second, of 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 the whole family and there's sin that needs to be taken care of we see that when he comes and tries to take moses's firstborn and 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 he's saved through the covenant and bloodshed and then he comes and takes pharaohs and all of egypt's firstborn and he would have taken israelites the israel israel's firstborn if they hadn't had had this blood spread over the, the the post and so now he says i i bought your firstborn for you like uh, they, I, des- I I, I should have, could have taken them and I didn't, so I want you to consecrate them for me. Basically, like, um, I could have taken them and I didn't, so con- they're mine now.
1: Yeah, and in verse 11, it kind of exp- unpacks that a little bit, and he says, it gives a bunch of different ways in which you redeem the first thing that opens the womb. All the firstborn of your animals that are male shall be the Lord's. So I'm assuming that they sacrificed... Those animals, in yes, particular. every
0: animal except uh, so, uh every, so every unclean animal except for donkeys yeah. and donkeys didn't just get to live, they also had to be redeemed by a lamb, which was a clean animal.
1: And if you didn't, you were supposed to break its
0: neck, that's right.
1: And then every firstborn of man among your sons you shall also redeem, and you're supposed to sacrifice a lamb, a lamb. Yep. to redeem the firstborn son. I think one, and so why, why, and it says, right, and when in time. Your sons ask you, why are we doing this? What does this mean? (laughs) Great. Well, that's us. Uh, And you shall say to him, by a strong hand, the Lord brought us out of Egypt from the house of slavery. When Pharaoh refused to let us go, the Lord killed all the firstborn of the land of Egypt, both the firstborn of man and the firstborn of animals. So I sacrifice, Lord, all the males that first opened the womb, but all the firstborns of my sons I redeem. So we are repeating the story of Exodus in every birth, in every family of all of Israel, reaffirming that God will continue to rescue his people through all times, through all generations.
0: Right. And this is a story that Israel was meant to repeat over and over and over again. It was the central theme of their identity as God's people. Not, not, not that, hey, God chose us and we serve Yahweh, is that God saved us And we should have died under his hand, but he redeemed us. He bought us. He paid a price. This price was a lamb. That's a picture of this central uh, identity we have as the people of God. We're bought.
1: And that wasn't just told propositionally. I love you. I I saved you. Therefore, believe this, this, and this truth. It was like an enacted retelling, like an enacted drama of God's salvation. So it says, it shall be a mark on your hands and the front Mm. limb between your eyes. There's this like tactile... You touch it and you see it. You touch it, you see it, you feel it. You The warm blood is on your hands, Mm, you watch it. Yeah, Like you are seeing the drama played out over and over again.
0: And then you ingest it. And
1: then you ingest it. That's very very real. Very real, but it also goes, ties back into the Feast of Unleavened Bread. So for a whole... Week you're supposed to eat only unleavened bread, and when your son asks why in 13 verse 8, you're supposed to tell him, it's because of what the Lord did for me when I came out of Egypt. And that shall be, again, as a sign on your hand, as a memorial between your eyes, that the law of the Lord may be in your mouth. Mm. There's this whole sense that like God is orchestrating human history and even our own practices and liturgies, maybe, that retell of their salvation and retell of their rescue. And you're supposed to like put it in your mouth, tactile, experience it, asc- aesthetically engage with it, not just mentally assent to it.
0: Right, so this meal is meant to remind us of something that God has done, and it's it's this reminder that God has acted, right? Right. Okay. And we ingest it. And what? this
1: is a really clear tie-in to Jesus yes. because this is the foundation of Communion.
0: All right, so we we just saw this feast that takes place um, that's supposed to remind us of God and His saving activity, and then Seth, you you were like, obviously, uh, this is a one of the clearest connections we have, b- biblically, theologically speaking, from Old Testament to New Testament, is how Jesus kind of reframed the Passover meal around Himself. Around Himself.
1: Right. So when several, I don't know how quite how long, several thousand thousands years. of years later. When Jesus is celebrating this meal with his disciples in the upper room, he takes the unleavened bread and, and takes the wine that they're drinking and reinterprets it, not about a salvation that happened, as a remembrance of a salvation that happened thousands of years ago, but as what he is doing right there in their midst. So he says in verse 19, he takes the bread, which he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to them saying, this is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me.
0: Yeah. So, and what's interesting is I had always thought about this, um, as Jesus pointing forward to what he was about to do. He was like, I'm going to the cross. I'm going to go give my life up for you. This is my body that's going to be broken for you. When you eat this, think about the cross. Think about the cross. Right? And, and they, and, but as Jews sitting at this Passover meal, they're thinking backwards. They're thinking
1: backwards. They have in their minds when they're eating on the Feast of Unleavened Bread, and their sons are coming up and them asking, like, why do we do this? Yeah. And they, they tell their sons it's because God delivered us out of Egypt, and we eat it in our mouth and put it in our hand to remember these facts. Yep. And Jesus says, actually— That That was me. That was me saving you. (laughs) That was me saving you on that day. Oh
0: my goodness. God's salvation plan has never changed. He's always been saving his people through the son of God, the second person in the Trinity who became known as Jesus in the incarnation. And he makes it
1: even more explicit because, and likewise, the cup after you've eaten it said, this is the cup that is poured out for you is the new covenant in my blood. So what's this new covenant? It's the covenant that God ratified right here at Passover. Mm. I will pass over death by the shedding of blood. Oh, wow. And Jesus says, that is me. I was the lamb in Exodus. Right.
0: And, this is, and now there's, here's a new one.
1: And here's a new one.
0: This is a new covenant. And it's, it's not lamb's blood. It's the blood of the son of God. Yes. Right. Which is going to accomplish far more than just one time um, in Egypt that we'll, we'll look back on and say, oh, that was really great for our ancestors. It's like, this blood is new and it's for you. Here's the cup. Like, put it in your hands. This is my blood for you. And so it's, is it fair to say that Jesus is looking in both directions? Yes. He's looking back to Exodus and ahead to his own crucifixion. Yes. Yeah. I mean,
1: we see that played all the time That's in the Gospels. Yeah. So I think it's happening here too. Jesus, when God looks on Jesus, he will pass over us.
0: Right. And the reason he passes over us is because of this new firstborn son, this new firstborn who is Jesus. So let's talk about the firstborn real quick, because that word firstborn is all over the place here in Exodus. And um, it's
1: actually the central point from the beginning of the exodus story. Oh, the yeah. first thing was the firstborn sons are being thrown into the river, they're yep. being killed. That's right. So this is the central one of the central themes throughout
0: the story is yeah, this idea of the firstborn son. And so why is the firstborn son so significant in this culture? Well, we've looked at that it's the promise that this this family line will not stop, it will continue, right? So it's the firstborn which means the family will continue, the progeny can can go on. Uh, we can continue to have an inheritance. We can uh, propagate our, or, you know, continue to pass down our property, everything like that. Um, but also, I think what's helpful is if you look at at the firstborn as a parallel um, to the first fruits of the harvest that are sacrificed to God. That we'll be talking about later is, I think, it's a helpful picture because when I talk about when I think about family and sons and daughters, it confuses me a bit because I'm not in that culture. So for me, the harvest made more sense. So it was like. Whenever you reap a harvest, you take the first fruits of it, the first part of it that is able to be harvested, you bring that to God. And it's the promise that the rest of your field will also be harvested. Because if this one little part of the crop came up, it's, a, it's kind of a precursor and a promise and a guarantee that the rest will come also. The rest will be harvested. Yep. That's right. And so whenever uh, you have a firstborn son that opens the womb, you 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 see that oh me and my wife are fertile we can create children more will come and like so i'm i'm not only consecrating this one son as an individual but all my children like and the entire family that will come after him so in in in, in, in the same That's way helpful. in the same way that the first part of the harvest that's given to God represents that the rest of the harvest will come and the rest of the harvest belongs to God. In the same way, when the firstborn son is consecrated and redeemed, it says more children and family will come and just as this son belongs to God, my whole family belongs to God.
1: And Jesus is called a firstborn too, right? Yes,
0: but there's steps in between. Oh, gosh. Yeah, okay. there's a lot of firstborn stuff that takes place. <laughs> so you have the firstborn son, which is the representative head of the nuclear family uh, in Israel. But then you also have the Levites. Later we'll find out this priestly family is the firstborn kind of tribe that stands in for all of Israel. And okay. you see that in Numbers 3, 14, and 31. And then you have Israel is the firstborn of all the nations, Exodus 4-2, and so Israel stands in for all nations as well. So the
1: firstborn son is the promise that is the guarantee that God's promises will extend to the family. Right. The firstborn son of the Levites is that God's promise will extend to the entire people of Israel. Right. And the fact that Israel itself is the firstborn is the guarantee that God's promise will extend to the entire world.
0: Which was the promise given to Abraham which was that you will be a blessing to all nations. So because Israel is the firstborn of God, that is a promise that what God does to Israel, he will eventually do for the entire world. And that's what he accomplished in Jesus, who is the firstborn son of God, right? He is God's only begotten son, Who and, and because he came and whatever God blesses him with, this is the idea of imputed righteousness, that we get what Jesus got. Like, so he's the firstborn son. So
1: I think Colossians calls him the firstborn of, of all creation. creation. Yeah. So it's not just that there's a particular people group or it's the God of all creation right. is promising to guarantee, is guaranteeing his promises for all of creation. Right.
0: Not just, uh, not even just humans. <laughs> he, he, like whenever he comes in revelation, it's behold, I'm making everything new is that he, he fixes the fall. He fixes the created order. Like, he fixes disease, not just sin. He gets rid of cancer. Like, he's the firstborn of all creation. So when God blesses this firstborn son, Jesus, he can then bless all nations as, as his representative head, as the representative head of all creation. And then he's also called the firstborn from the dead, right? Right. Right, and so this firstborn from the dead is Jesus. He was raised by the power of God, reigning over defeat, uh, reigning uh, over sin and death. And therefore, because Jesus was raised, Paul says, in the same way, we too will be raised. Because just as the the first fruits of a harvest gave proof that the rest of the harvest would come, we know that just that just as Jesus was raised, we too will be raised.
1: So, when Jesus says he's the firstborn from the dead, are we supposed to think of death like? a womb.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, no one's born from death, but in this kind of language, Jesus has shown us that the tomb can be like a womb because it's it's he he went in as a mortal body and he came out of this tomb womb as a a new glorified resurrected body you know so like Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15 what is sown in immortality or in mortality is raised in immortality so it's this idea he also talks about like a seed must fall to the ground and be crushed and die in order to be raised up into a giant stalk of wheat or something like that
1: so we too when we die we have this guarantee that the promises of God are not done yet even in death even in death he is the firstborn from the dead. That's right. And the guarantee is that we will be raised in life like him.
0: Yes. All right. And as we wrap up, I want to I talk about one major theme that we haven't quite touched on yet, or at least um, unpacked. And that is when God says that he will look on the blood and pass over the house. He'll look on the blood of the lamb and he'll pass over the house. Um, I mean, there's a lot going on here. Let, let's go ahead and tie it into Jesus, and then maybe we can unpack a bit of why why does God have to look at blood in order to pass over? Because I do want to answer that question. Um, but let's let's first, let's tie it into Jesus. So I'll start uh, y- y- like right at the beginning of go- John's gospel, John 1, um, 29. He says, uh, John sees Jesus, and he says, Behold, look, here he is, the Lamb of God, who does what? takes away the sins of the world
1: yeah paul in first corinthians 5 says for christ our passover lamb (laughs) has been sacrificed super explicit yep and then in first peter he borrows the language from exodus first uh first peter 119 jesus is called the lamb without blemish or defect okay and
0: which was the the requirement for what kind of lamb they had to right
1: jesus is the new passover lamb by consensus right in the new testament
0: amazing and so why is it, sig- I think that's a, a good place to start then. Why is it significant that they needed a, bl- a spotless lamb and then that Jesus is the spotless lamb? Like, why is that significant? Um, I think it's because I, I, I automatically think of Hebrews, which has a lot of sacrificial language in it. And it talks about how um, the priests always had to make atonement for their own sins before they could make atonement for the sins of the people. Well, Jesus being the lamb without spot or blemish had no sin in himself, right? But scripture tells us that he who had no sin was made to be sin, right? And so you kind of have to look forward to some of the, the end of the Torah to, and the end of the law to talk about how the sin is, of the people is placed on these lambs and these rams and all, these, all this stuff, and then it's taken care of. That Jesus is this perfect spotless lamb who's able to take our blemishes onto himself.
1: Yeah, and when he does so he provides a way of escape. He provides a way through God's judgment. He provides right. a way of rescue and redemption.
0: Yep. Yeah, and I think this is what we have to talk about then. We have to talk about escape from what? Like right and and, and like we talked about earlier with the the destroyer, um we can't separate um this what we're being saved from from God. Like yeah. we're we're being saved from God's judgment. Right.
1: They, in one sense we're being saved the Israelites were being saved from Egypt, yes, in the oppression of Pharaoh, but at the same time what we're, what are we told that, that God is hardening Pharaoh's heart and that the judgments are part of his plan right and his, and they are in fact his judgments. So it's not just that we're being saved from oppressive forces. we're being saved from God's judgment against those evil forces, which actually, includes us
0: right we're, we're a part of those evil forces we
1: are pharaoh we identify with the oppressor more yep. <laughs> more frequently than anything else Like that's who scripture sees us as
0: yeah and so so god god is this god shows himself in in exodus as this just god who remembers the promises he's made to his people and in order to make good on them he punishes a wicked kingdom and, and exacts uh justice on them and in the same time this justice falls we see that if it's all if, if the justice is going to fall on this land it's going to have to fall on everybody like used to there used to be this distinction where flies would go on egypt but not on israel but now this destroyer is coming through all the land and he's going to kill every firstborn son unless there's blood unless there's a substitute unless there's a substitute and so jesus is the substitute jesus is the passover lamb jesus is the one who is the judge. He is the destroyer. He is the one who in revelation will come and judge the world. Like we we often see Jesus as the peaceable one, the one who, you know, never does anything mean, (laughs) you know, like it's like, Oh, the God of the old Testament was mean, but Jesus is the nice guy. It's like, no, Jesus is the one who comes and exacts ultimate judgment on the world. And so the destroyer comes as the destroyed, right? The one by whom God punished Egypt is the one who was punished for God's chosen people.
1: He will be. He will come under his own, own destruction, wrath, yes. his own death, right.
0: so that others might go free. Right, as Romans three says, he's the just and the justifier. He's the destroyer and the destroyed. Like I, I think we we can't get we can't get over that here in this story. We have to see that parallel. That Jesus is the one who, being God Himself, should have brought punishment and condemnation to the whole world and he would have been just and good to do so but instead he took that punishment on himself so that anyone who would believe in him that he is the Passover lamb might have might be passed over
1: yeah and think about okay let's just think about Jesus as a firstborn in this context as well he is so there's a sense of loss there right like the father loses his son for a moment the firstborn son yeah and there's a sense that he's actually identifying with the cry of the Egyptians as well. The firstborn son was lost. Oh, wow. And yet, and so not only is he redeeming Israel, his chosen people, he's making a way for escape for those who would come under his judgment, who would come under the loss of their own firstborns. Yeah. So you lose it. Like, God doesn't see the. I think a lot of times when we talk about God's wrath, it's easy to see, man, God hates sin and evil, and then that means, oh, he hates you. Mm. He hates the Egyptians. He hates individuals. Right. But I think what we see in the fact that God gives up his own firstborn son is that he actually deeply loves even the Egyptians, and the sons that they lost can be redeemed in Christ, the firstborn. Oh,
0: wow. Yeah, absolutely. God does hate sin. I I mean, it is that is that old adage, like, like hate the sin, love the sinner thing, which kind of sounds so stupid sometimes but god uh represents that really well um he doesn't just represent it he does that like he he's not uh, what is it what is jeremiah i think jeremiah that says that he does not rejoice over the death of the wicked like whenever uh, whenever uh, whenever someone wicked dies under god's judgment god's not like yes i got him right like he's not westboro baptist church right that's right he's not ex- he, he's not excited that someone perished in their wickedness he is glorified in it, and he's shown to be good and just, and he gets glory from it. But um, it doesn't mean that God is just like spiking a touchdown ball whenever no. he went through killing the Egyptians' firstborn sons. Because he
1: recognizes it comes at a cost to him, not That's right. just emotionally as the creator of the world, but as like, I will redeem the Egyptians by the loss of my own firstborn sons. That's son. right.
0: And if God is eternal outside of time, he knows... Firsthand, the the loss of Jesus, and Jesus knows the loss of His own life, and His, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? All this is rattling around in God's eternal mind as He's seeing the firstborn Israelites die in the Nile River, as He exacts judgment on the people of of Egypt. Like God is not unsympathetic; He's not dispassionate. He knows what we're going through, and yet He takes His justice seriously, and He takes. Grace seriously, so seriously that he takes the punishment that we deserve, which is the death of the firstborn.
1: I don't remember which theologian says it, but it says like on the cross, justice and mercy kiss. Yeah, Was this John Stott. I don't. Remember. I don't remember either. But just... yeah,
0: that's beautiful. Okay, here's how I want to close out. Um, let's. I just want. I'm going to see if I can get you to randomly muse on <laughs> on this one idea here. So we've talked about Jesus being our Passover Lamb. This, which is just sitting here almost like in this stale academic way, talking about it, um, we can even seem dispassionate, even though it's the thing that you and I are most passionate about. Um, I I want, I want to talk about like, what, how, how should, how should our listeners go to their churches the next time they take the Lord's Supper? And like, how should this conversation change the way that they interact with the bread and the wine? Like, how should their affections be more stirred? Like what should be going through their mind? How does, I mean, how how will this change the way you take communion next time or will it at all? Or
1: I think the fact that the Lord comes physically is helpful for me in this moment. Like he, he doesn't come in propositional truths or platonic ideals or like ideas in the ether. He comes as a person who dies, who visited a grave. And then he, in, reminds us of that not simply through ideas or right. thoughts or sentences, but in bread and in wine. Like we say, we're eating the blo- body of the Lord, drinking His blood, and we're not literally doing that, but we're doing it in remembrance of what He's done. So I don't know. I think I I, I think in times past I've like eaten the bread and just felt like the grit between the grit of the bread as like. M- christ crushing my sin right or even myself crushing christ right drinking his blood is like being both the roman soldier piercing his side yes but also the one receiving mercy in that moment yeah i don't know if that's helpful no
0: yeah i think it is i think it's really helpful i think if i was to turn the question on myself um i think right now i'm just being like completely blown away by the fact that god could have just saved israel right he could have just said okay kill this lamb spread its blood like cuz like and he could have accomplished the same picture of Christ right but instead he also said i want you to eat this thing like i want you to eat this lamb and like guys i like i like lamb like i love meat and uh, an an open roasted lamb Like fire roasted lamb is going to be tasty. Like that is good. And so it's crazy that God not only saves us, but gives us ways to savor that salvation where he's like, I want you to taste and see, like, I want this to be something that you enjoy as you ingest. Like, I think that's amazing to me that he would give us all these opportunities to be like happy and fulfilled and satisfied. And I think of John six, right? Like I think of people, the 5,000 who ate all the multiplied bread and fish and they followed Jesus. And they're like, give us this bread. Always. We want, we want to be filled and satisfied. And then Jesus says, it's me like eat me and you'll be satisfied. And I love that. We get that in propositional truth that like, I'm no longer under the wrath of God. Instead, I get God himself. I get all the imputed righteousness of Christ. I get to dwell with him and all this joy that comes from that. But I also like get to eat food and it'd be good. And I get to know as I eat, not just the Passover meal, but as I just eat, I can know that like I'm eating in freedom. I'm eating outside of the wrath of God. I can taste and see that God's providing all things for my good and his glory. I don't know. I'm just kind of rambling on no, about how good. amazing it is that it is. God was like eat this lamb too
1: and in the same moment that as we we're drinking the wine and crushing the bread that is a, actually a symbol of our destruction of Christ yes it's also the same moment that we receive mercy yes which is a good argument for better tasting bread and better wine
0: communion. come on now I'm all for that I'm all for that no more crackers please. no more crackers let's get some really good dough some really good unleavened bread and some really good wine, and just make this uh, a feast worthy of savoring. (laughs) We can end on that note. I like that. Well, awesome, guys. Thanks for joining us, and uh, we'll see you next week. Thank you for listening to the Spoken Gospel podcast. Spoken Gospel is a nonprofit organization dedicated to creating gospel-centered media that speaks the gospel out of every corner of Scripture in every corner of the world. To learn more about the ministry of Spoken Gospel and view more of our resources, visit SpokenGospel.com.